This is the Janet Killeen Books Podcast. I am reading from my collection of short stories, There is a Season. This story is called A Wind Like a Bugle. There came a wind like a bugle. It quivered through the grass. Emily Dickinson The sands of Budel Bay, invitingly amber in the sunshine, a clear path to Ross Sands, a calm and lulling sea. I have seen the weather turn on the pivot of the tide. The ebbed sea holds its breath in a moment's tension. The wind whips round to the northeast to drive the tide forward, squeezing it under the weight of clouds gathering fast on the horizon. The sea whispers for a second and then pauses, fingering the ochre sands. A wind, like a bugle, a shiver, flickers along the edge of the cliffs in the coarse grass. A zigzag of oyster catchers, black and white, in the hollow of rising waves, calling pick, pick, into the stillness. The leisured flap of a cormorant, far out across the sea, scooping the surface. Then, as the wind turns, the tide rises out of deep canyons in the sea, thrusting to overrun the ribs of sand. And he was there, as I swung my binoculars, stocky, gesturing towards a flight of birds in the far distance, the long lens of his camera pointed away from the gathering waters. The woman and child in a draggled line along the sand behind him. I saw the woman stumble to him, and that familiar gesture of his hand reach to the join of head and neck and hold her to him as he swung his camera towards the birds now settling near the shoreline. Then the child, far behind, dabbling in pools of grey water that the sun had deserted, and sensing the onset of the tide's terror, calling like a gull. I watched them, as I have watched all week to understand this grouping of man, woman, child. To the right, the Farn Islands rise like submarines in a churning sea and north Lindisfarne Castle vanishes in the hissing darkness of rain. A familiar coast to me for more than thirty years. Since my wife died, I have come alone, in all seasons, to photograph the ever-elusive light and to watch the birds. Now I walk less freely, trundling with a contraption of four wheels and a seat so that I can perch at the cliff's edge, not far from the crimped green of the golf course. Here, to my left, the huge sweep of the bay, and then the hills rise and run to their central boss of the Cheviot. Below, black rocks jut through the sand, and I can watch gannets piercing the steel-grey deck of the sea, or gulls flicker white against the blue-green dances of its brighter moods. The huge bulk of Bambra and the wedges of the farms lie to the right, and then 
the long coast with its ancient, defiant sequence of castles. The man, the woman, the child, intention. A helix for a moment, twisted along the narrowing spit of the sand. I saw his gesture as she spun to free herself from the grip of his hand and gather her skirts to run towards the child. He grasped an empty fist of air and swung his arm, the heavy camera lurching in his grip. Then he turned away northwest, still blind to the sea's onset, and thrust forward his heavy belly and thighs, planting him deep in the sand. The camera steadied on its tripod. His mouth worked in unheard shouts as she ran from him. Only the keen wail of the child rose above the sea and winds, muttering. All that week I had seen them, man, woman, child, entering the pub each evening for their meal, just as I would be finishing with a slow port or coffee and pushing away the last of the evening paper, enjoying the movement and conversation of others from a corner. They choose one of the tables in the extension, and the man gets the menus, scans the specials, sits down heavily. Cool May evenings, but he is always in shorts, his calves rounded like Breton onions, his body stocky under its sweatshirt, and the camera and binoculars still swung around his shoulders. His strength seems protective of them. The woman wispy, in trailing clothes of green and brown, the child so pale and quiet. His speech, too, genial, faintly southern. Well, what do you fancy? The energy of the man is warm, attractive, talking at the bar of what he's seen and photographed, choosing, bringing the drinks. Then, you see if you watch carefully his grip on the woman's neck, so outwardly tender, but red marks of his thumb and fingers are left as he moves his hand to take up his glass. The child watches too, and her stillness is not broken even when a pinch grip on her upper arm leaves whiter marks against the purplish grey of her skin. Smudged green half-circles are scraped beneath her eyes. Seven, eight years old, perhaps. Dressed in a miscellany of clothes. Layers of t-shirt over skirts or shorts in pink and brown. Blue and grey, as though rummaged each day from plastic bags of remnants. Her fear exudes like a vapour. I have seen them some mornings, some afternoons leaving the cream and brown H registration camper van, pressing behind him as he strides off. The woman, sometimes in boots, otherwise in open-toed sandals, clutching her bag over her shoulder, and the child with her in Wellingtons. So today. And they have set out to cross the bay in an afternoon's gentle warmth and calm. Time for the child, it seemed, to meander in the pools and chase the strands of seaweed, making her own free patterns of delight as he lumbers ahead and her mother follows closely, clasped by his hand or arm. And then the tide swings and the wind 
imperceptibly at first, rising from the northeast. A bugle call, a shaking of the elements. The child, seismic in her sensitivity, screams out her abandonment as she sees the waters shift. The woman turns, turns and runs to her, and seizing her in her arms, struggles to the path at the foot of the cliff that leads up from the strand of the bay, safe from the waters, gasping for breath, appearing at the head of the path where I sit. I do not know what I say, but she must know that it is safe, and we place the child on the seat between us, and wheel her down the road towards the small inlets of car park near to Bambro. An odd procession, the pale child riding, an old man pushing the handles, and a dishevelled, weeping woman. Odd, that is, if there were any to see. We reach the camper van. I have no keys, she says. You can leave him now, I say to her. The wind and tide pause for her. The child waits, chilled, her eyes black with shock. You can leave him now, I say to her again. Where can I go? You have no family. I ran away at sixteen. I've hardly spoken to anyone since. And the girl? Is she his child? Are you married? She shakes her head. Then you can leave. He cannot hold you. There must be someone, somewhere. My sister, she would take us in. He doesn't know where she lives. I take them, to get warm and dry, at the guest house where I stay, and Mrs. Gray asks no questions. Bedraggled strangers rescued at the onset of a storm. Then in my car to Berwick to catch the London train and I give her money enough to take her there and beyond and to find her sister. I give her my card, the familiar trio of names including mine, though I have long retired. My son, I say, pointing to one. He will act for you if there is any need. Let me know that you are safe. All the time, their eyes fixed on me, wondering, an unreal gap of time while we wait for the train and the absurd terror that he might appear before they are on their way. Thank you, she says. Then, why? Why have you done this? I saw the tide turn, I answer. A wind, like a bugle, it quivered through the grass. You had a moment of choice, of escape take it. They climb aboard. The child's eyes cling to my face. The train pulls away. And I had a daughter, I say, but not to her, as I turn away from the train to the car park. You have been listening to A Wind Like a Bugle, from the book There is a Season. Read by the author Janet Killeen. And produced by Duncan P.B. 
for more stories, please subscribe on iTunes or from wherever you get your podcasts.